The Stand Student Podcast is brought to you by Stand, a Swiss educational development initiative supported by Irish Aid. Learn more about the work that Stand does with young people across Ireland at stand.ie. Hello and welcome to the Stan Suda Podcast. My name is Anson and I am a soon-to-be graduate from TCD with a Master's in International Politics. And I'm Anya and I study History and Political Science and every month we will discuss topics around student life in Ireland. And we'll be your host for the Stan Suda Podcast. Feel free to send us your comments on Instagram at stan.ie or Twitter at stan underscore ie. As many of you are aware, this month is November which takes place during the entire month formerly known as November. It's a magical time where men all over the world grow mustaches in the name of men's health. I'm sure lots of you have heard of it, and many of you are either growing a mustache yourself or know someone who is looking a little furrier than usual. Uh, Full disclosure, I've had the pleasure of being under the employ of November for the past few months, uh, but I have been passionate about men's health issues for a while. So it has been a pleasure to work for the organization. The work that Movember does is so important because I'm sure we can all attest that some men in our lives are reluctant to take care of themselves physically and more importantly emotionally. And having Movember bring vital awareness and funds and programming to some of those key issues is so important. That's right. And in light of Movember, we are dedicating this week's episode to men's health. We want to talk to you about one of the most pressing issues affecting the health of young people today, and that's mental health. We'll be hearing from Jack O'Connor, November Ireland Country Manager, to find out more about the initiative and what they're doing to promote men's health. We'll also speak to a student called Charlie Butler from Tribe Charity, an initiative that encourages young people to come together and raise money and awareness for mental health in Ireland. I also catch up with Mary Hernandez from Letterkenny Institute of Technology out in Donegal. She organized a mental health week this month, so we have a little chat about that. And to cap things off, I get some insight from a professional. I chat with Dr. Emer Sheehan, a registered psychologist here in Dublin. But first, here's a chat I had with, well, my boss, Jack O'Connor, country manager of Movember Ireland. Hey guys, yeah, I'm here in the Movember offices my office where I work. I'm here with my boss, Jack O'Connor, country manager of Movember Ireland. Thanks for um, taking the time to chat with us, Jack. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. (laughs) No problem. Uh, We're just going to go through a bit of, you know, stuff about Movember, get to know it a bit more uh, for our listeners here. Um, So Jack, could you give us like a brief explanation of what the Movember organization hopes to achieve? Yeah. So uh, for those people who don't know, Movember is the world's largest men's health charity. And so what that means is we want men to live happier, healthier and longer lives. And the way that we do that is by activating in the three most critical points of men's health. So prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health and suicide prevention. One of the things that we really want to achieve is just stop men dying too young. And we do this across all of those cause areas. That's great. Could you also, um, I, th- I feel like you covered a lot there, just even simply. Um, I think one of the, one of the, the things that people... Um, got get caught up with Movember is why we encourage people to grow mustaches. Could you tell the listeners sort of where that came from to start? Yeah, so the origin story is kind of a funny one. Usually when a charity is started, it's started because there's an individual who has a direct relationship with a cause 
uh, they start an event to raise funds for that cause and then that event gets so big that they build a foundation around it to sustain it. Not so much in the case of Movember. Uh, Movember was started by uh, two guys in 2003 in a place called Fitzroy in suburban Melbourne. And these guys grew up in the 70s and the 80s listening to Jimi Hendrix, Pink Floyd, The Beatles. Uh, one of the consistent things amongst, amongst all these rock stars they, they looked up to was that they all grew pretty cool uh, moustaches. And I'm also told that some of the Australian cricketers of that era had some pretty staunch mows and so, uh, and also like some movies, Magnum P.I., like the list really does go on. So like these guys grew up uh, admiring admiring moustaches and seeing them as something that was, was pretty cool. And somewhere in the 90s, uh, the moustache died a death. And so here are these two guys, Trav and Luke, were having a couple of beers, uh, uh, talking about things that come in and out of fashion. And eventually they came to the moustache saying, whoa, the moustache is gone. Uh, and after a couple more beers that afternoon ended with a competition to bring back the Mo. Uh, and uh, so it was actually Trav sent an email around to his mates uh, saying, are you man enough to be my man? Proposing a, a 30 day mustache growing competition uh, where they'd have a big party at the end and uh, and at the end see who had the best and, and the worst moustache and so <laughs> that was the first two Movembers and it wasn't until 2005, 2006 the guys inspired by the, the breast cancer movement that was really taking off in, in Australia at that time uh, decided to try and spin into something for, for men's health and uh, seeing seeing how the statistics around prostate cancer mirrored what they'd heard uh, they'd heard their girlfriends and their mums and their sisters talking about around breast cancer they, they were inspired to, to do something to affect change there That's great Jack um, beautiful kind of take on the history there and I think the other side of it is that it somehow creates awareness for all this stuff. Could you talk a little bit more about that and how like the mustache brings like direct kind of, um, it points people directly to the issues that Movember covers? Yeah, well, you know, we like to say that the, the mustache is our hairy ribbon. Uh, instead of wearing a daffodil or a ribbon or, you know, a poppy or whatever it is, but, you know, the, the mustache is, is, is our symbol. And it's, it's also pretty manly. It's, I think it's a, it's a pretty good icon for, for men's health. Um, a, a big part of Movember is is that awareness raising piece, you know, you know, as well as raising funds to to invest in our programs and initiatives. What we really need to do is is actually change guys' behavior and encourage guys to engage in their health. Uh, that we've got loads of statistics around guys not wanting to go to the doctor, not wanting to you know open up, not wanting to to you know express themselves emotionally, not wanting to show any sort of vulnerability, and so we've got a major cultural a piece of work to do in in terms of changing that and and the way we're going to do that is by is by having conversations we like to say that the guys who grow most become walking talking billboards for men's health and they help us to get out there they help us to to have those conversations and to very gradually affect change in that space and you touched on the three focus areas of november and just recover them again that's uh, prostate cancer testicular cancer mental health and suicide prevention and um prostate cancer is mainly for like Older dudes, but with the younger guys, they have the two focus areas. Um, could you talk about maybe uh, what's important for testicular cancer, and then maybe we'll, we'll move on to mental health as well. But first, what's important for, for, for younger guys with testicular cancer to know about? The thing with younger guys is generally they're not as engaged in their health as maybe over, o- older guys tend to be. Uh, and so getting guys to think about things like testicular cancer is, is, is can be difficult, especially now that the age bracket for testicular cancer starts as young as 15. Uh, and while a lot of guys 
at the age of 15 might be playing with their balls they're not necessarily doing so with the the correct holistic intent uh because it's it's just not on their radar and there's there's a major awareness piece to be done there as well you know the you know to to check your nuts you need to know what's normal so that you know what's abnormal if it does come up and so you need to kind of regularly be checking in we'd say maybe for like four to six weeks have a little feel in the shower roll roll your nut through your through your fingers and you're looking for what you're looking for is a kind of pea-sized hard lump generally uh, or any sort of pain if you do know something just just go to your doctor um i think one of the one things that's super prevalent in ireland is the mental health side do you maybe just want to take like a minute just talk about that and why it's so important that people know about that those stats in ireland yeah like it's it's not even just ireland around the world we lose a man to suicide every minute so there are over we lose over five hundred thousand men to suicide every year which is just terrifying and then in ireland you know eight eight of the average 10 suicides a week are, are men and so it's a it's a really really frightening uh frightening issue it's almost an epidemic um i studied psychology a few years ago and one of the things that we looked at uh was the breakdown of people who are accessing emergency services for mental health so the likes of pieta house the samaritans phone lines that sort of stuff all those crisis point services uh, uh downstream and what we found was it was about 75 percent women and so when you look at that statistic in line with the eight and ten suicides of men you know at the back of an envelope calculation we can you know we can estimate that mental health issues are affecting men and women equally but the way in which men and women are dealing with those is totally different um, and it goes back to that behavior piece i spoke about earlier uh, we need guides to to actually seek help when we first started to look at mental health and suicide prevention in ireland we sat down with some some of the organizations who'd been in the space for for a really really long time and gave them the due respect for the work that they've been doing and we asked what do you think we need to do to to stop men dying from suicide in ireland and they said look lads we don't need you to fund another phone line for men not to call and it's just so true what we want to do is is change society or change culture so that guys feel that they can have those conversations empower the guys to have those conversations like what we're doing with the the speakeasy event and to to i suppose let guys know that it's, it's okay to to open up and say actually you've been going through a really really tough time uh, and and that you know for years in society we've championed the strong silent type in men so is it really any surprise that we're we're at this stage where we've got these men who are being silent who, who are suffering in silence and seeking help way too late if at all thanks so much jack jack o'connor country manager of movember um, ireland um, thanks so much for chatting with me appreciate it my pleasure thank you Thank you to Anson and to Jack for that. As we heard, mental health is a pressing issue here in Ireland. Young people in Ireland suffer from the highest rates of depression in Europe. According to a study conducted in 2019 across Europe by an organization called Eurofund, 12% of young Irish people have said they suffer from chronic depression, with 9% of young men saying they suffered from moderate to severe depression. Finland, Sweden, and Germany follow closely behind Ireland with 11, 10, and 9% of young people reporting suffering from depression. Part of the reason for these high numbers is that there is a stigma, especially amongst men around mental health. More than that, there seems to be resistance when it comes to talking about emotions generally. For more on this, we're joined by Charlie, a student who is doing great work with a charity called Tribe. Uh, good evening to you, and thank you for being here. No worries, it's an absolute pleasure. Happy to be here.
Um, so let's just go ahead and start with the charity itself. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Tribe and how it began, sort of? Yeah, so I suppose I'll go right back to June 2017. Um, myself and my best friend Brian Matney, um, we got together and we'd been in the same college course. I'd been in the same school with him since he was 12 years old and at the age of 19 was the first time we actually opened up to each other about some of the mental health struggles we went through in school. And the shocking thing was is that I'd known him for seven years and we were completely unknown to each other's struggles. And what started off as kind of a personal ambition to do a marathon, we thought we'd come together, okay, well, what can we do at a really local level? Personal ambition, it kind of tied in well with mental health because it got me moving. And I had a lot of sports injuries in school, so I had kind of restricted movement. And I thought this would be a great challenge to get me off the feet. And um, with that, we ended up doing an article in the University Times in Trinity um, and me and Brian just put it all on paper and um, what we went through in school um, and it just got a, a ridiculous influx of messages and people experiencing similar things and we raised over 10,000 euro over 12 weeks. And then fast forward a year after that, I got invited on a podcast with Molly Parsons, um, who's now doing great work in sustainable fashion and that sort of thing. I, I think I was the third or fourth person on that podcast. And similarly, I just put it in voice. Uh, I talked about a lot of the issues I went through, how I dealt with them, how, how I got to where I was today. And after that podcast, I received probably over 150 messages. People I knew, people I didn't really know, pouring out emotion about their own mental health struggles. And it, it shook me for quite a few weeks. Um, I thought this, as a society, we must be really sick if people who didn't really know me were felt that they empowered to message me. And from that, I grabbed Brian and said, well, we need to make something out of this. And that's where Tribe came from. Um, it's a really local level uh, on, a, on a national crisis, as the stats that you were talking about there. And what it is, is it's a community of young people that's hoping to empower other young people to take control of their mental health. Uh, we organize events, we do blogs, we do podcasts, and we try and bring as many people together as we can uh, to help break the stigma uh, and empower young people and show them different ways to confront their mental health. So what started as really a small personal journey has turned into over 1,500 people and 50,000 euro raised for Pieta House through a range of events. So it's been an amazing seven or eight months since we launched. Can you just tell us a little bit more, what exactly is the goal behind the charity? Is it mainly about getting people to open up? Is it kind of more than that? What is it exactly? Yeah, it, I mean, we try and tailor it to whatever people want. Initially, it was to bring as many people together as we could. Um, by running events like doing physical challenges like marathons and triathlons or doing yoga or boxing classes, what it does initially is bring people together and then from there we try and stem conversation. Um, a big part of it is openness and kind of uh, showing vulnerabilities and kind of changing the perception of what is uh, you know, weak and what is strong uh, because I think that's something that's to do with male culture in Ireland and even seeing, my first experience was seeing Niall Bresen, Brezzy a big rugby player in athletics speaking so openly about his struggle and I thought it was the most powerful thing I'd ever heard. So within our own community we do a lot of that. So we would do a lot of personal storytelling and kind of the journey and our big thing is that mental health is not a journey or it's not a disease and it's a journey uh, ranging from small anxieties and fears to extreme depression and what we try and do is uh, educate people about self-care, the different tools that they can use for their own mental health. Um, and again, trying to get as many people involved as we can because I feel that the small impacts, uh, our small changes make such big impact in the long run. And we've seen that and just how it's growing and the impact it's had on other people. So 
um, yeah, just mainly through events, fundraising and blog posts and that sort of thing. And why do you think young men in particular are so reluctant to talk about their feelings? Like something you just mentioned there. Um, do you think it's a cultural thing? Yeah, uh, I think it's absolutely to do with culture. I think anyone who ended, went to an all-boys school will understand kind of the perceived strength versus weakness, the kind of debate and the kind of... Ireland is a very uh, value-based culture in terms of we attribute a lot of our value to kind of excelling in the academics or in sport. Uh, the idea of being a man is often about like dominant assertive behaviour uh, and anyone who went to an all-boys school will know that those kind of... Uh, those attitudes will get you to the top of the social pyramid and then any sort of weakness uh, gets thrown to the bottom. So I think a big thing about it uh, is changing perceptions uh, and the idea that a strong man didn't talk about his feelings was kind of subconsciously bred into people from a really young age. And before anyone really has the maturity to confront their mental health, uh, I'm, I think as a 14, 15, 16 year old, you don't, you're not even taught about what your mental health is and you're kind of just subconsciously bred into thinking that this isn't something that we do. So like even me, who would be quite talkative and expressive about my emotion, it took me until 20, 21 before I really understood what was going on between my ears um, and confronting that. In a culture in Ireland, um, I just, I wish I knew the answer to why it was so bad. Um, but even in the last year or two, you can see the influx of conversation and things like November coming out. I've never seen so many people take part in November. This year was the first year I've ever seen people celebrate International Men's Day. Um, so now that the awareness is growing, I think the next big step is education and self-care. Um, because if someone starts talking, the next step is actually showing them what they can do to improve their mental health. And like, what do you think could be done? You mentioned kind of younger men in school, particularly 14, 15 year olds. What do you think can be done in terms of reaching out to them? Like, is that something that Tribe does or... So that's something for schools to do, what do you think? I think it's within schools. Now, it's obviously really tough in schools. Um, you have probably 100 people in a year, depending on the size of the school, and it's really hard to pick up on maybe the one or two or three or four vulnerable people in that year. What I think you can do is encourage conversation and really basic levels of CBT. So cognitive behavioral therapy sounds like this big, scary thing. It's really not. Um, and even educating people uh, on how to rationalize their thoughts how to understand why they're feeling that way and little small toolkits uh, like if you it's very cliche but comparing it to physical health 20 years ago it was very narrow in terms of people would either go to the gym or play sport now there's this whole array of different exercise routines and different ways of exercising to combat your physical health similarly now how people view mental health is so narrow it's either you know i'm going to counseling or i don't look after my mental health and such simple changes in Finding your release is how we always put it with tribe, whether it's yoga or creativity or sport or running or, you know, having a cup of tea with your friends or whatever it is, and actually educating people about self-care. Because in Ireland, we're very, we put ourselves down a lot and we rarely, especially men, we rarely compliment each other or understand self-care at all. Um, so I think the next step is actually showing people that's okay to look after yourself and be a bit selfish sometimes uh, and understand what makes you click because everyone is so unique on that journey, as I said. That actually segues really well into my next question. Um, do you have any simple kind of everyday life tips that can help people cope? Yeah, my big thing, and again, as I said, everyone's different, so I'd encourage everyone to try loads of things and not be disheartened if they do something and say, oh, mindfulness doesn't work for me. Um, I've tried counselling, I've tried uh, calm and headspace and these sort of things. My big thing, because my personality is very organisational and controlling, is I, 
I love controlling the controllables. Whenever I feel like my mind is slipping away or I'm getting anxious or I'm in a, a bit of a low, I always try and rationalize things. And that's something I learned from Blind Boy through his podcast is bringing it back to really rational steps, whether it's to with my exams or whether it's with the relationships I'm trying to build. I always try and get people to, you know, try and take a step back and plan things out and try and actually write it down is how I started, but now I've gotten better at it. Um, and then simple things around physical health and dietary stuff. Um, my big thing in controlling the controllables is, okay, planning what I need to do to get on top of things again, trying to eat better again. I try and get back into exercise and it's really simple clicks. But for anyone who's struggling to make that first step, I would always uh, encourage conversation. Try and find that one person who you can even talk about 5% of your struggle with uh, and start there. Because that's how it started with me and Brian. Um, and now I've, I'm weirdly open. I will talk about all of my struggles because I think openness just breeds more openness. Um, so that's how I go about it. Conversation and really trying to understand what works for you because it's such a personal thing. Um, and lastly, just to finish up, where can people find more information on Tribe and upcoming events if they want to get involved? Yeah, so we just hit a really big milestone with Tribe and we just hit 50,000 euro raise for Pay to House. Um, our Instagram is Tribe underscore charity and our website is tribecharity.com. We're actually, have, we have really big plans for 2020. It's kind of grown much bigger than we expected it to. And we're looking to take actually more people on as a nonprofit. Um, and I think we're looking at new partners, uh, for charitable partners um, for 2020 to raise even more money. Um, so anyone wants to reach out for blog posts, to be part of any of our events, has any ideas for events, we'd love to hear you. And if anyone ever wants to talk to me or Brian or anything, we're always open to it. Um, so thank you very much. Yes, thank you so much for being here. It was great to speak with you. Thanks, Anya. Last week, I went down to Letterkenny Institute of Technology, where I caught up with Mary Hernandez, who is the Vice President of Welfare and Equality out there at LIIT, and we had a chat about uh, the Mental Health Week that she organized. For the Mental Health Week that they had going on there, um, the Student Union and Welfare Committee organized a range of events for the 4,000 students on campus. Events including giving free hugs, and they also hosted various workshops about drug awareness, as well as information on different health services that are available in the county. I was on campus giving a talk on behalf of Movember, and we had a nice little uh, follow-up chat about that. Um, so here's my conversation with Mary Hernandez. At the Letterkenny Institute of Technology out here in Donegal, um, at their Mental Health Week. Um, they just had, a, had an event on for Movember, um, that was organized by uh, Mary Hernandez. She is the Vice President and Welfare Officer for the LYIT Students' Union. And she's here to, to have a little chat with me and talk about why you know, she thinks that um, mental health and so, so is so important, but also, in particular, why we need to encourage men to talk about their mental health. Um, so thank you very much for chatting with me, Mary. Really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. No problem. So what, what do you think is so important about um, men opening up about their mental health? I think nowadays, in, you know, we're in 2019, it's very important for men to actually talk about their feelings. There's a big stigma out there that men uh, cannot be okay and that they shouldn't talk. They always have to act as if they're very, very tough. But uh, 
what I tried this year to help break that stigma is to actually invite loads of guys, you know, to join the welfare committee because I needed that bit of perspective. Like, you know, I know I'm a, I'm a woman. Maybe I cannot feel what men feel sometimes, you know what I mean? So that's what I tried to change this year uh, by uh, providing more spaces for guys in our welfare committee. That's awesome. And, you know, why do you, why do you think it is that men just don't talk about their health? What do you think is causes that? I think it all it all started like you know uh, from many many generations back. Like you know, uh, men were the only ones that were going to the army. Men were the only ones bringing the bread into the table. You know, uh, so I think it's just that stigma that we've been just uh, carrying. But I think it's time to change. I think it's time to just open up uh, our arms to all men, all women, and just be like, it's okay not to be okay, and we need to really break that stigma. Um, as you said, Anson, in your previous speech, um, uh, eight, eight out of ten uh, that committed suicide is actually men, and that's I think that the numbers are very, very critical. And you know, as a woman, I the only thing I try to do is that always I always try to give hugs to uh, all. My students, you know, I think it's very, very important to actually share the love, uh, no matter what uh, gender you are. That's so great. And so you, you said you've, you've included men, more men in, in like your community to ensure that uh, people talk about their health, especially men. Um, what sort of impact do you think that has had? Do you think they've gone the right perspective? Have they, have they been, been able to provide you the perspective that, that you need? You know, at first I was a bit scared, but uh, whenever we were organizing Mental Health Week, uh, we organized Free Hawks Day, you know, and I was just thinking, oh, I don't think guys are actually going to wear a t-shirt that says Free Hawks, you know what I mean? I thought that maybe they'll think that some guys will feel like, oh my God, you're like maybe uh, gay or something, like, you know what I mean? Uh, sadly, in our generations, people use the term of gay as an insult, you know, uh, but uh, on Monday, actually, it was all guys that were giving hugs, and I was very, very happy. That was a big change, and they were all giving free hugs, uh, even to men as well, like, you know what I mean? So that shows that even though we're in Donegal, and we're like the forgiven county, like, you know, uh, it can, I can tell that they really want to break that stigma, and, you know, I'm very, very proud of my team. Good to hear. Um, uh, this might be a bit of a biased question, as I am someone who actually works for November, but what, what sort of impact do you think... Um, Movember has on on breaking down these stigmas and kind of encouraging men to talk about their their health and kind of in general Right, so when we were all organizing again uh, this week, we were thinking Jesus we need to find a, a Charity that will you know be fun and it will not be Like you know that there'll be like some type of activity like to do and we thought about Movember foundation when I think about Movember, all I can picture in my head is just uh, activities, just great time, just laughs and, you know, support. And I think Movember is one of the best charities that, uh, that a student union can actually work for. So I would love to just say uh, that if you're part of any student unions, to please contact Movember Foundation. They're a great foundation and they're doing great, great stuff. And you can attest that women can also be involved with Movember, correct? A hundred percent. Yeah, I'm a woman, so uh, so yeah, I'm very happy to be part of it. But of course, uh, I can't not wait to learn more stuff about men's mental health. You know, because there's so much stigma out there. So yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for having me here today, and just for taking the time to chat with us and and joining us on the Stand Student Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Hanson.
that was great. Thanks for that, Anson. Um, it really is so important that these issues are more widely discussed. And as we heard from our guests so far, in order to destigmatize mental health, we are going to need initiatives like this that get young people involved, especially those that try and encourage more involvement from men in particular to open that door for conversation. Yes, 100%. But that is actually quite hard to do. For people struggling with their mental health, it can be so hard to take that first step and talk about what is affecting them. Earlier this week, I was able to talk with Dr. Emer Sheehan at her offices in downtown Dublin and have a chat about these issues. It was so great to have a professional give insight into the mental health struggles faced by young people all over Ireland, um, and especially why young men are reluctant to speak out and seek help when they need it. Here's the conversation we had. This is Anson with the Stansudo Podcast, and um, I'm here with Dr. Emer Sheehan, a counseling psychologist here in Dublin, um, and she's going to provide us uh, with some important insight on the issues that we're talking about today. So thank you very much for taking the time to chat with us. You're welcome, Anson. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So uh, I guess the first question I have for you is, when people are going through these things, I think one of the biggest struggles with people is taking that first step. Mm. Um, could you maybe tell us why why that is why it's so hard to take that first step well I think one of the biggest factors uh, in answering that what comes to mind is shame and I think um, when we're talking about shame what are we talking about so basically you know when we live in a society that there's certain messages around mental health around vulnerability, around certain emotions, um, we, were, we very much grow up and internalize these messages. So if, for example, we're growing up within a family system, within a society where certain emotions are very much given the message that they're not okay, so there's kind of a rejection, say, of our vulnerability, we feel that from the outside. So we're absorbing that sense of rejection, that parts of ourselves is not okay. And what starts to happen is we internalize that. So we begin to form that same relationship of rejection with those parts of our experience. So those certain emotions that might be sadness or hurt or anger or whatever it may be. So then when we've learned that, when it comes to then in the face of struggle or in the face of facing certain challenges, um, it can be really difficult because we're kind of coming in contact with that inner conflict. You know, a part of us wants to maybe reach out, but a part of us has learned and come to really believe that reaching out might be synonymous with being, say, weak or um, not being man enough or, <coughs> or, or not being deserving or not feeling that our needs are deserving to be heard. So I think that's an important factor that often we feel we feel ashamed around certain aspects of ourselves. That's that's very interesting. I mean, especially in the month of November, it's kind of like the jump off point for this podcast. You said not being man enough. Mm. Does that does that feed into this idea where, you know, men are just kind of feel discouraged from seeking the help they need with when it comes to their mental health? Well, I think it's difficult for men, you know, and I think definitely it's changing, which is wonderful with so much awareness and movement starting to happen like Movember. And I think all these things contribute collectively to us as a society that allow kind of that 
tight grip of that old narrative where you know that that we've been fed for so many years around what makes a real man and real men don't cry all these kind of messages it's like the more these movements start to happen we're kind of challenging that old narrative <clears throat> and allowing something new to emerge more space for for men's realness and trying to almost um what those movements are really sending a message to is to help us almost rewrite the script rewrite the narrative that actually true strength true courage is for men to actually allow their vulnerability to be there and to to step out in that and i think you know when we're talking about what makes it difficult for men we have to consider you know the socialization process and this goes right back to when we're really really young um it's the difference between for example as a little girl you know we might be given a doll to play with and take care of this doll and and a young boy might be given guns and action figures and it starts like that it's all these kind of implicit or explicit messages around what makes you man like what makes a real man what makes a successful man and very often in our western society that's synonymous with being successful a doer um strong a provider doesn't show their emotions a lot um and where kind of vulnerability is often synonymous with being seen as weak and i think when when like what we were speaking earlier about that conflict it's like if that's the message that a man is being fed in society when they do face then challenges which of course all of us as human beings come in contact with that we are all vulnerable at certain points in our lives if the message has been deeply cemented into the psyche that that to have these feelings is not okay i think it makes it particularly difficult then for men to reach out and we know that from the research too and as you said earlier you know in terms of the statistics you know that in terms of suicide here in ireland or across globally that it's 80% is males and i think that very much reflects the difficulty for men to reach out in times of need and i think that that socialization process that women and young girls when we're younger somehow it's kind of more acceptable we're kind of conditioned into that it's okay to talk about emotions more um of course I'm generalizing here in a very big level but um but I think that all plays a role in what makes that first step what makes that reaching out and and actually acknowledging that there's a struggle I think that's really what makes it hard that's that's very insightful um and I think one thing that kind of um, younger people are noticing is that maybe there's just an increase in mental health generally and do you think that this is um, maybe a good thing because the door is opening for people to be more comfortable and coming out about uh, their mental health issue yeah. or is it an actual increase in anxiety in depression in young people yeah. I feel like that's a hard thing to answer but I'm, I'm just curious yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. what you think about that mm. Yeah, it's a complex one because uh, I was reading a study the other day that was just on the My World survey, but it was a study done on about 19,000 adolescents here in Ireland. And so say in 2019, like 22% of, um, say, young adults between 18 to 25 are reporting themselves in the category of like severe anxiety. And say back in 2012, that was reported at 11%. So it's like we're seeing an 11% increase in that category of severe anxiety. And um, so it's like some of the statistics are reflecting that, yes, like anxiety is increasing. 
And it's kind of like, how do we understand that? You know, because I think as human beings, we've always struggled with mental health difficulties. We've always had challenges. But I think there's something about this. It's becoming more a part of the collective conversation. Um, there was so much stigma behind it before, so much not spoken about. So it's hard to get statistics from those times. You know, if there was if it made it so hard to tell your GP, to tell a friend, to tell your work. Um, but certainly I feel um, we are living, you know, in this culture where there's this huge pressure, you know, it's like a striving, striving always to to kind of get to this place of success, you know, and it's kind of, I think, very much upheld or perpetuated by the mainstream media and by the prevalent use of social media now which we're kind of bombarded with on a daily basis, right? Like these images of what does success mean? How should I look? How should I feel? How should I think? How much money I should make? And I think what young people are subjected to these days is, I mean, this is their main form of communication. And of course, there's nothing wrong with social media, but if it's our main source of communication, our main source of connection, um, then we're kind of absorbing, you know, because a lot of this happens just like the messages about men that happen in our society. It might not necessarily be always that we're explicitly told something, but it's implicit. We're absorbing it in the environment and we're absorbing it in all the images that we see in the media. And I think this definitely plays a factor. I mean, I think there's much more as well, but I think this is one of the factors that we can really see that there's this um, disconnect in form of human to human connection. And, you know, as human beings, we're wired for that. Our whole nervous system, our whole brain chemistry is wired for human to human inter interaction. Like we thrive on good connection. But connecting through a screen is not the same thing. And I think that does play a role when we think about how prevalent that is for young people these days. And then that sense of being, um, I suppose, disconnected from, you know, when we live in a very, you know, society that's very much kind of perpetuating this image of success being at this future point what it does is it sets us up in this cycle of continuously striving for a future point of success so i think that creates huge anxiety and huge sense of feeling like we failed if we didn't get there because often these ideals are very unrealistic very unattainable for most people so it keeps us in this cycle of constantly striving and it can be exhausting and very anxiety provoking and i i feel that's a that's a that's one of the factors in young people's mental health of course there's lots of other things you know but that's just something that feels very current yeah i mean i feel like i feel like that's spot on and just like even just anecdotally you kind of see that you know yeah. Um, the I guess just maybe shifting gears I think because um, we, we know how many people just kind of struggle in silence and stuff yeah. and um, potentially that's becoming more prevalent to the 11% you know, increase especially in young yeah. people um, uh, what would be some tips from you in potentially um, approaching a family friend or loved one mm. who we can kind of who, who is, is noticeably struggling what can we do to, to help them? Well, first of all, in answering that question, I would say it's important for us to reflect on our own selves, because the more comfortable we are with actually our own emotions, our own mental health, the more comfortable we're going to be able to approach that with someone. 
the more space we're going to be able to hold in a way that's not judgmental or kind of coming from a place of pity, but one of human to human connection and relatability. So I feel like when we take the time to reflect around what's our relationship with our mental health, how do we cope with difficulties? What's our attitudes towards men's vulnerability, women's vulnerability? Um, when we've really taken the time to work through difficult things that might be obstacles to, you know, our own mental health in a way, when we've really reflected on that, then when we come to someone, you know, when we're approaching someone, it's like that's the space we're connecting with someone from. It's from a human to human. And I think when we approach somebody who's struggling, they can feel that. They can feel that sense of, okay, this is somebody that's, and that they mightn't always listen, and that might be because of other things. But I think at least we're setting it up in a way that we're kind of coming from this place of, hey, like, I know what that's like, or I've also struggled. So I think it's it's first of all looking at where are we coming from when we initiate contact with that, because there's nothing worse when someone's struggling. And I have many people saying this to me about the kind of how disempowering it feels when someone comes along. And I think within our society as well, we're we're not very comfortable when people are in pain and we just want to like dish advice at them and and just get into this doer fixer mode. And and that's really not what people want. Usually people want to just speak and just be heard. And I think as human beings, that's what we want to feel deeply listened to to not feel judged to just have a space that's kind of held for us in a way and often in that space we can kind of start to see things a bit clearer around what we might need <clears throat> so i think it's really important that we're coming at it from this sense of human to human relatability i think sharing about our own struggles whether it doesn't have to be the exact same struggle but we've all felt vulnerable we've all felt challenged in life so being able to normalize that in some way not to take from the person's experience but to somehow try and relate to it and I think being very um, open around what you know about what kind of support is available and I think that's really important to normalize that to normalize how you know you might have gone to speak to someone yourself or you know of somebody and how that might have been supportive so I think all those things um, are important when we're when we're approaching someone and and really you know being being sensitive you know um well this has been super helpful and it's gonna just kind of bring everything together with some of the things that we brought up today in our podcast so thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today and we we really appreciate it you're very welcome Anson. i'm really happy to do it i think what you're a part of and the the podcast and really promoting mental health I think is a really important issue and I think as I was saying earlier the more we can kind of speak about it it's like each time someone steps out each time some movement happens each time some groups set up it's like we're contributing towards that collective consciousness right that collective narrative around this is okay this is acceptable yeah thanks again Thanks for that interview, Anson. And of course, a huge thank you to all of our guests on this month's episode. And again, if you are struggling with anxiety or depression, please don't hesitate to seek help. Right, and that, that concludes our episode for this week. And I feel like we got a lot of good perspective into men's health issues, but you know, we've also played a part in the solution. One of the biggest issues with men is that they simply do not talk about their health, especially their mental health. And you know, while it sounds so simple, 
one of the best things we can do is provide community awareness on these health issues and open the door for conversation. In my experience doing talks for November, people have absolutely attested to the success of this. Just this week, I had someone come up to me and say, you know, that a friend of his is going to see a doctor and talk to him about his health, something that he's been putting off for a long time. And it was motivated as, as a result of the community awareness that November brought. This is exactly what we need. Communities where men feel comfortable enough to open up about their vulnerabilities and admit that they need to see a doctor or admit that they need to see and talk to someone about their mental health. That is what's going to change the face of men's health and stop men from dying too young. Lastly, we'd like to make you aware of some of the helplines that are available in Ireland. Please do not hesitate to call if you are one of the many suffering in silence and are in need of some assistance. They are Pieta House at 1-800-247-247 or email mary at pieta.ie. They're available 24-7. Samaritans at 116-123 or email joe at samaritans.org, available also 24-7. Aware at 1-800-804848. They specialize in depression and anxiety. And finally, Childline at 1-800-666-666, especially for those under 18. They're also available 24-7. Know that you're not alone and that there is help out there, be it family, friends, or organizations like these. And that's all from us here in the studio today. Join us again next month for another episode of the Stan Studio Podcast.